calling all creatives. This just might be the episode for you. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Pearls and Cucumbers, the podcast. I'm your host, Asha Pearl, and today I have the opportunity to pick the brain of the most unique and talented artists who bless this earth with their incredible talent and wit. Spoken by the man himself, Kevin Sparrow is a Brooklyn native, basketball official of over 20 years, and graphic designer and illustrator of over 30 years, creator of the Thousand Violations webcomic and self-published book Cheater of the same comic. Kevin Sparrow has one of the biggest influences in my entire life. We've had the opportunity to work on several projects together, including the Irrefutable magazine, as seen on all the descriptions of each episode of the Pearls and Cucumbers podcast. Kevin is the artist behind the artwork and the logo for Pearls and Cucumbers. That girl that's doing the little kick, that's that's him. <laughs> um, in addition to being the designer of the blog and the website Pearls and Cucumbers. So introducing Kevin Sparrow, my dad, how are you today? <laughs> yo, yo, yo. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Um, so we're, this isn't going to be, I told you before, this isn't going to be recorded. Like we're not going to visually see you, but one of the trademarks that my dad always wears is it's a, it's, I call it a Newsies hat, but what is it actually called? Uh, there's several styles. I like, I like it. I, I usually either wear a fedora, but this is a more newspaper boy style. Um, hat. I like newspaper boy style hats. They have this um, old school look to it. Um, um, has this old school look to it. So that's what I, I love about it. It's um, it's pretty cool. Um, um, it's uh, yeah. I really like the hat. I remember um, for Christmas, what I wanted to do was get you one of the hats, but it was from Zara and you're very, very particular about where you get your hats from. So I was like, no, I <laughs> stick no, to like I a t-shirt or something. <laughs> I think hats are like shoes, hats are like ties. It's like, you can't just buy someone a hat. I would just look good on you. You know, they're very, you know, personal, you know, they're personal items. So if someone said I'm gonna buy your hat, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, just tell me which one you're gonna get ahead of time because I want to be yeah. able to wear it. You know, if, if someone buys me a hat, I want to be able to wear it. Um, I've been lucky with I think maybe one person other than my wife AJ who's got me a hat, but it's been one of the persons who's got me a hat when I was like, yeah, this is um, I wear it. But um, I've had some hats from people that I'm like, I don't know why you bought me this. I'm not wearing this. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never gotten you ahead. I know, I know that about you. So. <laughs> but I think that's um, it's one of your signatures. It's one of the things that you use to like express yourself, which I've always really liked. You've been very consistent with that. That's probably one of the things that I admire about you is how consistent you are with everything. Um, so today, <laughs> he said, "What?" <laughs> so. Consistent. I'm like consistent. I don't know about <laughs> everything now. Some things, yes. <clears throat> no, most things. That's probably one of like that. That's definitely what when it comes to this podcast, when it comes to my blog is being more consistent, more. Uh, what's the word? Uh, assertive, I guess, for lack of a better term that I can't think of right now, just being forthright with like, I want to be consistent with this project or be consistent with the way I present myself. So and, you know, I, I know I, I read somewhere that you're 
frontal cortex is not fully developed until you're 27. So I'm 28 now. And <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I, now where, where I'm at in my life now, I'm like, okay, I just want to sort of develop myself and be as consistent as possible and not keep changing my vibe or like, I'm going to be like this. Now I'm going to be like this. And well, I think that to, I'm still trying to find out my excuse. <laughs> 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 but today I wanted to focus on your creative journey because as we said in the intro, all of these feats that you've conquered, all of these things that you've dipped your toe in, all of these things that you have been uh, establishing for so long, um, I want to shed a little light uh, on how people can get to the position that you're in. So when, first question, when did you start calling yourself an artist? Um, I don't know if I ever started calling myself an artist. I think other people called me an artist. You know, I think that's how it started. I don't think I was ever in a position where like, I, I was like, I boldly said I'm an artist. I was actually labeled an artist and it kind of like stuck with me. Um, and I think that's because I had, I've always had this uh, ability to draw and um, this God-given talent to create. You know, I don't want to say it's just always been drawing because my, you know, my creativity wasn't always you know, at an early age, it was limited to um, being an artist. It was limited to how you express yourself pen to paper. But as you, as I've gotten older, I've, I've always realized that it goes beyond that. It's how you, you know, it's funny. It's funny. It's like how you, uh, how you write that creative process can be how you, you know, one draw, how you um, actually plan out things, how you actually if you were to decorate an area, how you would decorate an area, you know, that, that creative process could be anything. So me being an artist, I don't think I was ever, you know, I, I boldly says I'm an artist. I kind of like, you know, a young age family would see me draw and labeling me as an artist. I love that. I, I think that artist is one thing. And um, I also think that you're a creative. I think that's one of the newer term sort of that people have uh, coined especially on Instagram it's like if you're if you've dipped your toe because you're you're also a writer you draw you paint you write um you design you've done a ton of things so I think that overall you can also consider yourself a creative um, you know and, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that too is like even as a writer at a young age I was told that I wasn't that good of a writer and that kind of stigma stuck with me so I, I think you know you know you know even talking about language in general i think it's very important that you know to cultivate younger artists you know not to put labels on them at this you're an artist and like that's what it is i, I think it's you know I, I actually like the word of being considered a, a creative or creator um but again that's actually a new term <clears throat> it's something that you know if you're filling out resumes now i've seen that on resumes the word creator opposed to uh illustrator opposed to graphic designer um, but I think it's really important. I'm actually, you know, and listen, in the next, you know, 10, 15 years, that'll probably change again, too. You know, it yeah. depends on <laughs> and, um, who's in the driver's seat of hiring and um, who's who's actually, you know, you know, cultivating the language. But yeah. I have two different resumes, actually, that I just made. I have my creative resume where I talk about the different projects I've worked on. And then I have my server resume because I've mostly had uh jobs where I've been a server or a bartender. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I'll show you, you know, you talk about the two different separations. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself when we talk about this creative process. It's, it's um, for me, 
I was refereeing sports and at the same time being creative. And I've always wanted to create things that I could always want to intertwine those two worlds. And, and that was always, you know, that, that challenge, like when you mentioned being in two spaces, you know, I always say like, how do I make those into one, you know, so I don't have two resumes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used to have the one, but I, I, I just realized that I had an expansive resume with one industry and then an expansive resume now with another industry, especially being probably the, like, not probably, definitely being, calling myself the creator of Girls and Cucumbers. So, right. um, but with all that being said of us talking about, like I, you said, you've never called yourself a artist necessarily until other people started calling you artists. Um, but I, I saw, I suffer from imposter syndrome a lot. Um, and it's either because I'm feel like I'm not producing enough content, like the volume of content, it's not enough. So I can't really consider myself a creative unless I have this amount, or I just don't feel like I'm good enough. So I think that part of it also having the two separate resumes, it's like, even, even when I'm talking to people at the bar, they're like, oh, well, what do you do? Are you in school? What are you doing? Because being a bartender is not enough. It's like, I have to have another plan. But then even when I sell, tell people like, oh, well, I have a blog, I have a podcast, but I'm very low key about it. And I'm, it's a little embarrassing to sort of express that I have this going on. Um, do you still at your age, I'm not gonna say your age because we're gonna get into a fight, suffer with the same intrusive thoughts? <laughs> Uh, uh, you mean speaking about imposter syndrome? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's. Um, I don't think I'm not sure if it's not as a creative person you actually lose that, you know, because you're always trying to accomplish, and, and it goes goes back to the labels, like because there's there's this misconception, you know, as an artist, when I was growing up, there was still that starving art artist language that was always used out that you can't make a living, and you know, my parents, your grandparents, for that matter. Uh, didn't know um, what that, you know, they were blue collar workers. Um, your your grandfather, my grandfather worked for, my father worked for um, for Con Edison in New York City. So he was a blue collar worker. My, my mom worked in the, at the World Trade Center. <clears throat> and even after when they moved to North Carolina, they always took on blue collar jobs. So they they didn't have the the, you know, I guess they didn't see the foresight or didn't have the the resources to say that, hey, listen, you actually can make a job out of this artistic ability. And, you know, that that's incredibly important. But I'm thankful for them because had they not put me into art programs, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. You know, because so many parents back then would say, oh, that's not a job you need to go do something that makes you money. You ain't gonna never make any money doing that. And I heard that language a great deal of time, but I was thankful for, you know, my parents who said, hey, listen, I want you to go out there and and take, you know, be creative, do something cool with what you're doing. We love doing this and do it. Um, and they actually needed help too, because we they, they were uncertain at times too on what it would look like. And they needed resources for other family members say like, yes, your son can make a living doing this. So when it comes to this imposter syndrome, I think that's where the history of it comes from. You know, it starts there, but then you have people, you know, who are always telling you like what art actually is, not knowing, you know, even to this day, and we'll, I know we'll get a little bit into this, like creating a book, people have this idea of what creating a book is. And it's just, you know, self-publishing on a broader scale through, um, you know, 
your own um, Kickstarter programs or crowdfunding programs. That's still a pretty newer thing now, you know, where you can actually get online and do that um, in the last 10 to 15 years. But prior to that, there was always this one image of how you publish a book, how you become a comic artist, how you, you know, become famous as, as an artist. Um, and, and if you didn't do it that specific way, you weren't a comic artist, you weren't an artist. And I, I think that's, that's a lot of history of why, you know, when you're doing this, you struggle with being an imposter because you're your expectations are, or your your idea of what this should look like is based on someone else's opinion. So when we talk about imposter syndrome, it's something that um, I still struggle with, even in the, the massive amount of work I've done, um, um, especially in my comic book, in my web comic, I struggle with, you know, do people actually get it? Are they gonna actually come back for more you know what, I've been, I've been fooling them for the longest time. Um, and I'm not sure that I ever leave. And actually, I'm, I've actually questioned whether I want that to leave because I think that's a lot of ways helps me drive, like continue to push further, you know, I don't settle. You spoke a little bit about volume of work. And I think that's another misconception too, is that I think the, the value of a volume of work, it just gives, it makes your practice even better. So when we talk about the, the one thing I say that the reason why I do it, I do a hundred strips, the reason why I draw something a hundred times before I publish it or try to push it even further, um, it's because I want to um, get the repetitions in because it's in, within the repetitions, that journey that make you better at what you do. You know, I, I think there's this idea that you know, if you don't have the volume, you're not, oh, what have you written? I haven't written anything yet. Okay, so write. Um, that doesn't make you not, not a writer. It's like, uh, um, I think it was Damon Wayans. It might've been one of, it was one of the Wayans brothers I was listening to YouTube and he was talking about how some, when he was grinding, starting out, someone, he said he was a comedian. It's like, when we've done comedy before, it says, I'm not great now, but I will be after all these repetitions that I, I put out, after I put out the hard work, you know, so, so you not being creative or being a writer or being an artist, being an illustrator, um, you know, you, you just have to put in the, the repetitions to, to reach a level of, of um, you know, a level of, a, 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 a good level of talent, a good level of, of professionalism. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's, um, yeah, I don't think it's anything about, you know, the amount of work sometimes defining who you are more the amount of work defining how good you are. That's, you know, I don't know if that makes any sense. You get what I'm saying? No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. That's, um, I, I don't think I've ever actually thought about it in that way before. Uh, but but it, often I've heard you say, because again, you are, you are on the, the back end of pearls and cucumbers, the, the brand altogether, because a lot of that was, was very much developed while I was living with you and stuff. So um, every time we sort of come back to him, we talk about it again, you're like, I see all these drafts that you put in. I see you starting to write these things that you never finish. And I see you, you know, you want to put out more stuff, but you don't like you write all these things. And you even one time were like, I'm just going to publish it because you have it and you just don't put it out there. Um, I, I think yeah, that's you know, 
Yo, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, cut you off. No, no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, go ahead. <laughs> one of the things that I, I've, I've been struggling with just as of late is probably being too personal. Like, uh, you know, even when I do these interviews, when I've done an interview with um, Victoria Johnson, who has the uh, Sailor Moon podcast, you know, I have I have all these questions that I have set up and I have a certain way that I feel like it should be and not just putting out whatever is is sort of coming my way and just putting out, you know, anything into the universe and putting out any content that I do have in my brain because I'm so afraid of like how it's going to be perceived whether it's perceived wrong or not and things like that. And um, something we're going to get into uh, your thousand violations. We're going to get into sleepy and all that thing and, and all that. But what I want to mention is just seeing the characters sort of change and develop from when I first saw you drawing your comic book into now and how characters have been taken out and characters have been changed and things like that. It just changes with who you are, but you've never stopped doing it. And I think that because I started doing the blog and pearls and cucumbers one way, if I don't continue doing it that way, then it's a problem instead of just allowing the process to sort of happen. And for, you know, like I said, my frontal cortex just finished developing. So I'm allowed to continue to change. I'm allowed to, and even after the fact, I'm allowed to change what I want to be as a creative and things like that. And I think that one of the things that has made you consistently successful in, in my eyes is that when things sort of change and you develop and there's a shift in your life, you change with it, but you never stop making that content. You have the volume of work because you continue to do the volume of work. Yeah, I thank you for that. I actually, I think sometimes I, I, I slack and I lack too and my volume because I would love to publish Files of Violations, my comic strip, you know, twice a week, but I'd never meet that deadline. <laughs> I actually would love to do it three times a week. But I wanted to touch on something um, before I lose my train of thought was you were speaking about, uh, totally forgot. I wanted to speak on, um, it'll come That's back to me, but let's go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's good I cut you off. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, so, Let's get into the book. Where did your inspiration for your main character, Sleepy, from Files and Violations come from? Yeah, Sleepy came from, you know, the story behind Sleepy was when I started refereeing sports. Um, the very first day I started refereeing sports and I started taking the rule book questions, I said, wow, this is some cool content. And I says, you know, I, I thought about it and it might have been nine years before I actually published um, Fouls and Violations, but the Sleepy character came out of that, me refereeing sports. And I would actually, during my development of refereeing, I would doodle and write down character stuff and, and just write a whole bunch of stuff about who this character was. And I would do sketches, but I would never publish them because again, I was afraid of imposter syndrome that I would be seeing, and, and I look, I, the, the good thing about me looking and creating a new book, because I'm in the process of doing that, was that I looked at a lot of my old strips. And when I was looking at some of my old strips, I said, man, these jokes were bad. <laughs> oh. you know? So, I, you know, oh, this is what I want to talk about. The blessing around me um, going through that process of creating Sleepy, there was one point where I read the Seth Godin book, um, ooh, a book by Seth Godin, oh my goodness, Lynchpin. And he talks about your, 
you know, there's a part in the book where he talks about at some point you have to print. You can plan, you can strategize, you can organize, you can do all this stuff. But part of your brain is telling you not to do this. And at some point, you've got to say, you've got to create a date that you're going to print and just print it. And I always took that in my mind when I was doing this because I'd read that part of that book. And, and, and I remember that's what I felt like. And I don't even remember if, the, if I read the book afterwards or in the midst of me doing this, but I know there was a point when I was doing my strip where I said, you know, later for, I'm just going to print it. I'm a, I, didn't, I didn't know how to do a website. I didn't know how to, I had to ask someone to help build me a website. Um, uh, it was Penny Davis who was, you know, in, in the, who worked at WNBA with me. She helped me develop the website. And from that website, I actually do my own websites now, but I learned how to do them from that because I needed more control of how I was, how this was looking, but she produced the website and I told her about my plan and she was like, cool. And I, I did it. I think I went to like at least 10 black and white strips. And I just published them and I didn't even care. And it just started from there. I did everything everyone else told you not to do. There was the, there was books that I read that said, you need to at least have at least 50 strips before you actually publish. I didn't even listen to them. I was like, 10 strips, publish them. I'm going to go from there because I just wanted to do it, that I wanted it out there. And I'd say it's been the best decision of my life actually doing that. Um, and, and part of the story around Files and Violations was that I actually took a hiatus from the character um, from that strip for like, I didn't realize it five years. I was like, well, I didn't realize I took five years off before I rebooted Files Violation. But the Sleepy character, the original Sleepy character was originally titled um, Sleepy in the Hardwood. That was the name of the original strip. But I thought the strip was too long. And I actually almost named the strip Sleepy. And I was like, yeah, I mean, and I just said, I finally stuck to Files and Violations because it really talked about who the strip was. I mean, about what the strip was about. It was about files and violations, things that referees, referees deal with, calling fouls and calling violations. But the, the original name Sleepy came from, um, I was actually called Sleepy as a referee. When I first started refereeing sports, I went to a classroom session. This was my very first camp. In the classroom session, I had my head down and I was writing and the person thought I was asleep. And he kept screaming out, sleepy, sleepy head, sleepy. And from that day on, other referees would call me out and say, hey, sleepy, what's up? And I was like, to that day, I always had a name. So what I did was I used that character name in my strip. Now, mind you, there's a lot of people don't know that I was called sleepy early on. You know, no only <laughs> officials that started out. Yeah, only officials started out knew that name. And that's how that, where that name came from. And I just said, I'm using this character. That's going to be his name. But that was kind of the, the original starting point for that character. And um, the, the whole strip is based on the journey of refereeing sports. It's like all the things that um, I've encountered. If I work with someone and something happened to them and they told me the story, I would put it in the strip. And that, that's how the, the original inspiration for the character came about was just the day-to-day -day that referees encountered on and off the court, their family lifestyles, they're traveling, they're going to camps, they're um, on the court activity, interaction between fans and coaches. Those were all part of the strip. And you see all of it from, from when you started to now, like it's still, 
it's still that story. It's just like interactions with, with, with the coaches. My, fa- my favorite strips are the ones where it's like with the coach, like the coach is just screaming at the top of his lungs about whatever. <laughs> and usually it doesn't make sense. And it's always like Sleepy's comeback or something like that. So I always like that you've been um, consistent with that. I forgot what. Uh... So I wanted to, cool. <laughs> I wanted to move on to the next question. Um, what are, I just said where the cursor is and then I lost the cursor, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what were some of the hurdles that you did not expect to run into when beginning the webcomic? Um, some of the hurdles was the, the website stuff. Yeah. Um, just knowing how to manage that. Um, you know, again, it's like back in the day you did a comic and you shipped it off to a publisher and a publisher handled some of the stuff that showed up in the news and putting on a web comic, you know, I'd read the book, how to make a web comic that actually inspired me to actually do it online myself. And that book, um, that book started me say, let me just put it online myself. You know, I, I was pretty always electronically savvy, but um, when I, I'd never done a website, didn't know how to do a website. And I had to read on how to do it. I didn't go to school for it and learn how to do it. I self-taught myself WordPress. And even to this day, I struggle with some of that stuff. But, you know, I, I knew that in order for it to look the way I wanted to, I had to uh, do it. I think that the biggest downfall I have is that I'm always a perfectionist. I'm always trying to make it look a certain way, you know, and that kind of holds me back. You know, I go back to the, mo- the book that I was talking about, The Lynchpin by um, Seth Godin, I actually found it. Um, the book talks about, you know, that creative process. If you keep planning and planning, you'll never, you'll never print and you'll never get it out there. So I had at some point to say, all right, it is what it is. And just, you know, uh, I'll make mistakes. And my website ran into um, coding issues and, and problems trying to get the website up. You know, that was one of the, the bigger issues. Well, another biggest shot was just the scheduling, you know, just, I worked a full-time job. I refereed sports and I was trying to do a web comment and trying to put it all into those spaces. Oh, and, and trying to manage, you know, family. You <laughs> so, had your home life. I mean, that's, yeah. Home life. That was just so much. And, and I actually put too much weight, you know, too much, I put too much, a heavy burden on myself trying to do all those things good. Um, so that, that was like really the, the biggest part, just trying to manage that, you know, you know, the, the drawing part, believe it or not, was the easiest part, you know, um, I actually, I think that looking back, I had to learn how to be funny. I had to learn how to, I had to learn how to write, um, comedy. I had to learn how to write, have pace. You know, and I don't, I'm not even sure I'm really good at it. I just think that I've just been consistently doing it where the story is being told. I think my story is being told a little better now. Um, but again, if you look at some of my early drawings, you know, my my first year, I think it was 2009, I said when I first wrote Files and Violations, that first year was like, ooh, some of the strips were looking crazy. <laughs> and then I took a five-year hiatus from the strip and I came back in 2016 to redraw it. And I look back at the strip and I said, oh my goodness. I was looking at some of my strips and I was like, these are bad. 
And I actually had to go back and redraw some of them because I actually just lost how to draw Sleepy. I'd, I'd forgotten how to draw the character and I had to go back and, you know, repractice. And I, I you know, one of the, one of the things I need to do too, too, and I didn't even talk about this is that one of the reasons that stopped me from drawing Sleepy, not only was it me a change in lifestyle, it was more of my, I had to, um, I was on the road so much and I just had to carry, lug around all this artwork in order for me to referee games, come home, and then I got to draw or on the road draw. And I, it just made no sense. It was just too much for me to manage. And back then when I first started doing a strip, I was, I was drawing it on Bristol board, scanning it into this eight and a half by 11 um, a printer. I had to piece the two pieces together because the strip was 15 to 16 inches long and then put them together meshing together they recolor the whole thing my goodness that took forever i won't lie sometimes it felt like it took forever and that's so and, much different than what we're doing now is just in the little tablet right, you write it right in there right so that's what was a bigger change is that in 2016 i said oh man this ipad is really good and i found that you could do use procreate which was a really good uh app a good tool that you could use to draw on and as soon as that came out, I says, I want to try to redraw the strip totally digitally. Mm-hmm. Two things happen is that I, I love that I'm able to produce it digitally because I'm able to produce it faster. I can sketch, draw, color, ink, drop it into the, to the, into my, my, um, uh, my WordPress site on the same day. Like no problem. That's, that's awesome. The downfall it is I lose all this original art that I love doing. So I love creating all this original pen, the paper, ink on on Bristol board artwork that I no longer create. And I miss that. Mm -hmm. You know, I I truly, truly miss that. And I'm not even sure if I ever go back to it because, you know, there is a difference between how um, your pen reacts to paper opposed to how it reacts, how a, a... a um, iPad pen reacts to a tablet. So it was really trying to, um, you know, you know, it's really trying to perfect that. I think I've gotten better at that, but I still, I know if I ever went back to doing on on Bristol board again, I would have to relearn how to use a pen. (laughs) You know, know, I say that too, because I still paint too. I still do acrylic paint and I still, um, I still try to paint. I don't paint nearly as much as I'd like to. I haven't actually feel like I've been painting in six months. I actually that, see my painting behind you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I miss, I miss a lot of that. I still miss that. So those were, you know, I, that's a small, the small stuff, but there was so much other stuff too. You know, mm-hmm. there was, you know, it, art is ever fluid. There's so many new ways coming out on how to create. Um, you know, I, I think that I lost track when I started doing other projects, for instance, the irrefutable magazine. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, when I stick to the core of what I enjoy doing, I, I do that pretty well. And that's my webcomic. I know, yeah. I know from personal experience and even uh, conversations that I've had with you, how difficult it is to create traction with your projects and ultimately have mental and physical and financial support from people. So how has asking for support, because both Cheater, which is already published and, well, the new book, Correctable Era, um, those were both Kickstarters. So how has asking for support for many of your 
creative endeavors changed your outlook on family, friends, and even strangers? Um, I don't, I don't know necessarily. It's like change how I feel of, with, about personally about people. Yeah, it's like you, you it's more of a recognize, recognizing where what, what people's um, priorities are. You know, um, you know, kind of update. I self-published both my books, and I use Kickstarter as my crowdfunding for it. Um, and my Kickstarter was merely asking for all the printing costs and the shipping costs. So what it took to print the book and what it took to ship to my home, those were, I was trying to get, make those a wash. I wanted to have a clean slate. That means I had to sell, you know, a, approximately a um, hundred, you know, if I got a hundred clients within that, it would take care of, uh, actually it was less than, I was like 75 clients. And within my, my Kickstarter, it took care of all those costs, mm-hmm. you know, and I offered free, I offered um, uh, rewards like my original art for my first year. And my some original um, illustrations and 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 prints and the book, so I wanted to do that because I, I did. I wanted to have total control over my printing process. I didn't go to a publisher. I didn't look for a publisher for it. I didn't even start that process. I just knew this is what I wanted to do. So with Kickstarter, it was uh, you know one of the things I think if anyone's doing a Kickstarter, you, there's this this idea. I think if you have the idea that Hey, I got a Kickstarter. You ship it out to all your friends and all of a sudden stuff, money starts coming in. That's furthest from the truth. You know, you have to, it's a full-time job. Like with the Kickstarter, I had to try to gain, gain traction before, give people an update. Hey, listen, I'm going to launch. I'm going to launch. And even with that, you're hoping that people who, and even invested in the first book that they would, they would put, put their investment into it again. And then you put it out there. And I found myself every day sending people texts and emails hey would you like to you know um you know back my project you know and and i do i think that a lot of people really were rooting for this project to happen i had a core amount of people you know a good 50 uh, not say less good 25 people who were like yo they couldn't wait for it to open up and they bought immediately yeah. But then there's this bunch of people who are like, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm beyond that. I'm beyond. I'm a, I'm a back your project. And it took a little bit more from the beginning. But then there was a group of people who wanted to. And sometimes because of life gets in the way, they forget. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what happens. Like this is this is not on the, the tip of their every day. So it did. It took, you know, I'm thankful for my wife, AJ, that she was like, hey, she would get on the horn and she would help me out with that. Because I went through periods of like, just head down, like, Ugh, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to be able to fund this. I remember it was a week and a half remaining and I was at half. And I was like, there's nowhere on earth I can make this half up. But um, we both got on a grind. Every day text, every day email, every day, yo, can you back? And, and, and this is what happens. You know, here's the truth. People see it. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to get down. Yeah. And you know what? The doorbell rings. Or the phone yeah. rings and it's mom. They call up or their boss and they start talking. And they forget all about it, and then you remind them. They go, "Oh, my bad," and, and then something else happens. Mm-hmm. So that's why I never, I never take it personally. I just know that people are, um, you know, sometimes consumed. You know, you know, I, I know people who actually came out. I got a phone call today, Kev. I totally forgot. Yo, can I still get in? And I said, like, "Yeah, you know, let's we can work out something where, you know, I'll get you a copy of it." 
pre-ordered within that same range. And, and I, I've thought about that too. I knew that there were some people afterwards that I would say, I'll try to take care of you and they want them back as well. And I'm not saying no to money because I wanted to come in so I can, you know, uh, publish this book, you know, when nothing's coming out of my pocket, you know, yeah. that's the whole goal is that, you know, that's the whole, the whole beauty of Kickstarter. So you can have a product. Um, and, and I've tried to be as open as possible with my, my, um, my backers let them know that this is where it's going to. I'm not, I'm not making a, any, any huge amount of money. This is strictly covering costs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if you think about people um, not wanting to be a part of it, it's like, I think it was, I was, I was more in my head than anything else. I think that, you know, I, I, I really believe that when people, people want to, there's some people out there who want to see you win. And there are some people who, you know, the funny thing is that there were people that I, when I sent it out, I was like, who's this? Why are you sending me this? And I was like, I'm sorry. I mean, if it, oh, this is getting too spammy. Don't send me this anymore. I got a lot of that. And mm-hmm. I had to actually just like say, hey, listen, I don't mean any offense by it. I'm trying to back my book. And you've got to be okay with that. If you're doing a project like this, you got to be okay with, with cons- you know, you know, absorbing a lot of that type of frustration because there was a few people who just didn't want no parts of it. They, they got the first book, but they weren't no parts. I had people that I sent the first book to and they deleted me right away. And I was like, all right, no big deal. And, and the truth is that they're not they're custom, my customer. This is what I, I did learn. One of the things I did learn through my whole journey, and I'm probably, this is why I really, I'm gonna probably piss some folks off, is that I did learn my customer. Like, I do know that because I write a comic strip, even though it's about refereeing, referees are not buying this. Mm-hmm. People involved in sports are buying it and kids are buying it because it's kid based. It's a comic book. There's a lot of younger crowd, like who, people who love comics will buy this, but people who don't know this, my product are not going to buy it who are involved in sports. And I understood that. I really understood that going into it. It's like, listen, this is, I'm probably not going to, you know, attract a lot of people with this, um, you know, on, on the referee side, you know, and, and, and the thing I'll say about referees, referees sometimes in my, my community of officiating are cheap. They don't want to spend money on something like this. And that's okay. You know, I'm not trying to get a thousand customers. It'd be nice to get a thousand customers. I want my, my solid 500, you know, people who, who actually buy into the, the product I'm doing and hopefully it'll grow into other things because, you know, this is beginning stages of this. I'm looking to go even further into um, even beyond, even beyond just doing a comic strip, I would love to do animated films with this. You know, it's mm-hmm. like this character is um, dear to my heart, and I've also reserved the fact that this might not be my final product. You know, it might it might flop. You know, but I will say I'm enjoying doing it. You know, and 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 that that's the the beauty of it all. So I'm hoping it it turns into a big enough revenue, um, financial revenue. Um, stream for me and and I'm excited to see where it goes well I you know it's funny because we have to wrap up um but I one of the last questions I was going to ask was uh what what can we expect in the future from K Sparrow artwork but it's funny because you already said one of the things you you want to make this into an animated film that would be that would be one of your aspirations or you know even if this isn't your last product their project last book there would be more books possibly coming in the future, but what else can we expect from your, from Case Square yeah, LLC? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I've, I've always, I've, I've found a love and, you know, one of the things that, 
because I've changed my focus off of necessarily referees, but more on the sports community. Um, I really had to look at how I marketed what I did, you know, how the, my artwork and what I started doing. Um, I just fell back on a lot of things I love to do. I love doing personal illustrations of people. I love doing caricatures of people. And I'm hoping that I can do more um, comics and caricatures of people. Um, I actually, in the case back, I'm actually opening up a, uh, some, uh, a revenue stream out there where actually people could actually, um, commission my work to do family portraits and illustrations directly. Um, I hope that leads into other stuff, editorial stuff. One of the things I'm having fun doing now is that I've actually started to chronicle the, the, uh, NBA finals because we're in the Miss NBA finals. Every time I see a storyline in the NBA finals, I'll do a caricature of that character and I'll put it post on my Instagram or my Twitter. Um, <clears throat> I also want to do that with the WNBA because I personally feel like the WNBA does not get any traction the way, you know, our athletes in the WNBA don't get any traction, um, you know, some social media that they need to. And I'm actually going to start doing them a lot more because I'd like to tell their story. Um, through through art, through caricatures, through um, that type of storytelling. Um, so yeah, that's right right now. And and I still sell my artwork online. Um, if you go to my Case Barrett site, there's a store button there that I sell a lot of my personal work there as well. And um, yeah, it just it's just really it's still the the book is the main thing right now. But I'm hoping I branch to other things. I'm loving this process. You know, it's the process of trying to be creative you know, and, and find different ways to, you know, monetize. And, and down the line, yes, NFTs are down the line as well. So yeah, a lot of cool stuff. NFTs, oh, goodness gracious. We can do a whole other podcast about NFTs. <laughs> That's another space I'm learning too. It's like, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've never said no to it. I've, you know, I've had people say, you need to do NFTs. It's like, yeah, I want to do NFTs. I, I've got to learn how to manage this process as well. And it also takes, you know, with everything I'm doing, it takes some, it takes money. So that's, that's the, that's the goal is to try to try to get some more, more backing so that I can do some, some fun projects, some cool stuff. Oh, idea, do cool stuff. (laughs) Tell the people where they can find you father. Oh, oh yeah. You can find me at um, two different websites. First one is filesandviolations.net. Um, uh, it's F-O-U-L-S, um, S.com. That's two S's, F-O-U-L-S-S.com or Files of Violations, F-O-U-L-S-A-N-D-V-I-O-L-A-T-I-O-N-S.net, FilesandViolations.net. And my my personal website that holds my portfolio and, and where you can find commissions that is uh, K-S-P-A-R-R-O-C-K dot com. That's KSparrick.com. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. This is dope. I I enjoy this. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this book. I'm glad you took the time to to think that think that the the project I'm working on is worthy. It is. It (laughs) is. I wasn't one of your first backers, but I was one of them. It's you know. No, I love your projects too. It's like um, I love the way your your I love the way your site looks. Not only because I drew it, but you know, something a lot of the content is is looking dope. So I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, and um, I'll let you know when this episode's up. It'll probably be tomorrow. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> And that wraps up another 
beautiful, amazing episode of Pearls and Cucumbers, the podcast. Thank you again to my dad for coming on this episode and sharing your experiences as a creative with us. I really hope that this reached a lot of people that um, you are able to identify and take some gems from it. I'm always taking gems whenever my dad, you know, just drops them on me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I love, love, love y'all and keep your head up. We're going to keep being creative together. Bye.